Radioactive plugs you into the community weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and your support means Radioactive can keep passing the mic to people and nonprofits making a difference, like Fridays for Future Climate Strikers. Uproot the system basically means that we want to reorganize and drastically change the political, social, and economic systems. Radiothon starts October 29th. Help us to keep plugging you into the community by making your donation online at krcl.org. Sad but true, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit with their take on a Metallica classic that's off the Metallica Blacklist album. eBay Hamilton ahead of that, wrapping up Afternoon Drive here on KRCL 90.9. Welcome to Radioactive, a show that plugs you into grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives right here in our community. I'm Laura Jones, your host and executive producer of the show, and if you have an idea for us, Just email radioactive at krcl.org and let me know who you'd like me to pass the mic to next. Coming up, Salt Lake City Mayor Erin Mendenhall on the half dozen ways she'd like to spend $85 million in rescue plan funding coming to the capital city. First person, our new series, Passing the Microphone to Grassroots Activists. Tonight, we're going to feature Vishal Jamalapati, one of this year's Youth Activist Scholars recently announced by the ACLU of Utah. Stick around to find out the two things he says we can each do to broaden our worldview. You may have heard the public service announcement we've been running asking for you to support Guadalupe Charter School with Halloween candy and costumes and costume bling. I wanted to find out how that was going and share with you the mission of this charter school. Let's pass that mic. Hi, I'm Katina Santamaria. I'm principal at Guadalupe Charter. Katina, for folks listening who aren't familiar with Guadalupe Charter, where are you in Salt Lake? We are at 1385 North, 1200 West, Rose Park. We are right across the street from the Rose Park Park. The reason I really wanted to chat with you is that I saw the request to help out your kids with Halloween candy and Halloween costume accessories. So I wanted to find out what's going on with Guadalupe and how folks can help. So first of all, tell us about your students. What is the Guadalupe Charter School form to do? Our motto, our focus is to transform lives through education. So we work with students that are struggling, that come to our school, they're struggling in other schools, and or learning the language, English as a language. Um, Most of our students do not speak English at home. Uh, Majority of our parents speak Spanish. Uh, And so these students are learning both the content of elementary and the language of English. So we're talking early learning center and a K through six charter school, but there's also adult education as well because you're helping the whole family. It sounds like. Absolutely. It is a complete family program. So we do have our adult education program, uh, always looking for volunteers that are willing to help out to teach adults English. That's uh, a, a commitment one or twice a, a week in the evenings to help a small group of adults um, learn English. And this could be anybody in the community that is learning from very basic English to a little bit more advanced English. Um, And then we focus all the way at the other end, which with our babies and our little two and three and four-year-olds that come through the early learning program. And then the middle program is our charter, which is our big program that we have. Um, The majority of our students are in the charter and that's kindergarten through sixth grade. And we're going to put a link in the show notes, folks, for volunteers because uh, it was really a treat to find out that Kate Brainerd, who does your adult education program, heads that up, said that 
the way she ended up at Guadalupe School was she heard a PSA on KRCL seeking volunteers to tutor adults at, at Guadalupe School. So the circle is complete. I'm telling you here, Katina. And for me as well. Oh, yeah. So many, many, many years ago, I, well, I grew up in corporate, corporate America. And many years ago, um, I've heard a volunteer uh, need and thought, oh, I taught English when I was in high school. Let me let me step in and help. So I came, met Kate and started to teach English in the evenings to a couple of folks. It was fabulous. I loved it. I did it for a while. Um, and it really motivated me to find something else besides corporate America. <laughs> and I started going back. I went back to school, got my master's in education and started teaching. And lo and behold, years later, again, the circle's complete. I'm here. I'm the principal and running the charter school. That's fantastic. And I do want to let folks know that to volunteer to help adults learn English, you don't have to have teaching experience or be a teacher from what I understand. Right, Katina? No, as long as you have a willing heart and an open mind to come on in, um, the lessons are all prepared for you by the team that Kate runs. And so they really hand you everything you need to know. You sit down and you um, teach. It's a fantastic opportunity for anyone in the community. All right, let's talk about the fun stuff now. And that is Halloween <laughs> and what your kids are looking forward to. Are they getting excited over there at Guadalupe School? Yes. So we are going to have a Halloween parade, which we generally do in the building. It allows our students to have some fun. Um, and then we have a trunk or treat on the 28th in the evening. And it's wonderful. Our families really come out and set up their cars in the parking lot and down the street and allow the children to have a safe trick or treating experience. So we're always looking for a little bit more candy, uh, you know, a little bit of more of the accessories to help the ones that just didn't make it to a, a to purchase a costume. So you want uh, folks to help them bling out their costumes. Uh, Absolutely. From vampire teeth to um, <laughs> sparkly things. What's coming in and what would you like to ask the community for? We've had an incredible outpouring of donations when it comes to costumes and things. So that's fantastic. Any superheroes out there would love to get you. Um, the candy, that that's also a big deal. So if there's anyone that has an extra bag of candy, please come on over, drop it by. We'd love to get that out to our students, uh, that trunk or treat. You know, I was always happy to hit a house or a trunk or treat that did the full-size candy bars. So, folks, this is my personal plea. Go the extra mile. Get the primo candy. What do you think, Katina? <laughs> That would be amazing. I know the children would be shouting for that. They're very much used to the bite size. So anything beyond that would be fantastic. So folks uh, interested in helping out, they just need to drop off at the school. What's the location and is there a website where they can learn more? Absolutely. So the address again is 1385 North, 1200 West, Salt Lake City, which is in Rose Park. Um, the best place to do to go is to the website. You have all sorts of information. If anyone is, is interested in becoming a monthly donor or a sustainer, that's the best place to do it. The website is guadschool.org, G-U-A-D school.org. And we will be sure to put that in the show notes. And to drop off candy and Halloween stuff, costumes and bling, when should they get it in by and what hours is the school open to take that? Certainly. The um, school is open from 7.30 in the morning to 5.30 in the afternoon because we also have an after-school program. So most of the students go home at 2.45, but many stay for the after-school program. So we are open until 5.30 in the afternoon. And the adult education program begins at 7 to 9. 
in the evening. So in essence, the building is pretty much open all day. Um, if people can drop off their quick love and donation to the school anytime between now and Wednesday the 27th, that would be fantastic. All right, folks, you heard it. Let's do this. Let's help out Guadalupe School. Katina Santa Maria, thank you so much for giving us an update and everything that you and folks at Guadalupe School do in our community. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity to share this out. And now you know how you can plug into Guadalupe School and lend a hand either for Halloween festivities or adult tutoring. More details in tonight's show notes at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. Still to come this hour, Salt Lake City Mayor Erin Mendenhall on rescue plan funding and how she'd like to spend $85 million in our community. Right now, let's go to First Person, a new series where we pass the microphone to someone in our community and, in their own words, have them share what kind of good trouble they get up to. My name is Vishal Jamalapati, and I am a 2021 ACLU of Utah Youth Activist Scholarship winner. I am a young person of color born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, to a pair of Indian immigrants to the United States. As an ACLU Youth Scholarship winner, my goal in life is to work towards establishing a world free from systems of oppression. Growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah can sometimes be pretty stifling given the homogeneity racially, ethnically, religiously of Utah. And so growing up and coming into contact with systems of oppression, being a, you know, a brown person in the United States was, uh, was pretty life-changing. It kind of changed my worldview, recognizing that my life experience was very different from the life experience of my peers. And so having that experience growing up brown in a primarily white area and primarily white schools um, opened my eyes to the oppression that existed in the world around me and sort of drove me to aim to deconstruct those systems of oppression. So in the third grade, I have a very vivid memory of sitting down while our teacher was reading a book to us in the classroom. Uh, It was for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And after we finished reading this book, which I think was entitled, I Have a Dream, one of the kids raised their hands and said, if not for Martin Luther King, Vishal wouldn't even be able to be in class with us today. And I just remember sitting there and thinking, number one, I'm not African-American, so that's irrelevant. And number two, that was the first time that I'd really recognized the fact that I was not white because I never paused to think about that. And so that distinction was a turning point in my life where I started recognizing how I was treated differently by my peers, by my teachers, and generally by the system that is the United States government. I am currently a freshman at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. I'm planning on majoring in international comparative studies with a focus on the Middle East. I'm very interested in understanding more critically how the world works um, and more critically understanding the very systems of oppression I just mentioned. I'd like people to know that even though Utah can be, like I said, stifling at times, there are always people that are working to dismantle these systems of oppression. Even though it may seem like they're underground or they're hiding, these systems of oppression are so wide reaching and so powerful that they exist even in Salt Lake City, Utah. So my advice is to just get started, build an empathetic network of people to work with, and do the work that needs to be done, because it is possible, even in Utah. I am a strong believer in the power of languages and think that everyone should 
combat the disease that is monolingualism. So learn another language and that's the best way to interact with the world around you. I started learning French when I was in seventh grade out of a love for French food and then quickly realized how cool languages could be. So I picked up Arabic and now I'm working on Hebrew and a little bit of Persian as well. My interest in languages actually came from volunteering at the International Rescue Committee in Salt Lake City, where I started volunteering when I was in ninth grade. And so I was able to practice my French with refugees from Western Africa, and then later Arabic with refugees from the Arab world. And seeing how useful those languages were and also how powerful they were in establishing a connection between people who would otherwise have not very much in common was very powerful and very inspirational. Just as language is so important, music is also another form of communication that lets us cross cultural borders and cross international borders as well. So with that, I want to leave you with a song called Laissez Passer by the band Tout Ard, which means strawberries in Arabic. Uh, Tout Ard is a band out of the occupied Golan Heights in the Middle East. And the song is really powerful to me because it talks about even though people exist without ID cards or without nationalities or without borders, they can still define their own identities through music, language, and communication. My name is Vishal Jamalapati, and this is the song Laissez Passer by Tout Art on KRCL 90.9. Are you interested in a career using your bilingual and bicultural skills? The Utah Department of Health offers no-cost Bridging the Gap medical interpreter training. Registration deadline is November 5th. Details at choosehealth.utah.gov. Thanks to George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation for investing in KRCL and communities throughout Utah. Hi, I'm Becky. As KRCL's new office and membership services manager, I've had the pleasure to meet some of you in real life. I love this personal connection between KRCL and you, our listeners. Your support powers the station for folks throughout Utah and connects our community in meaningful ways. Join us this Radiothon with your support and snag a new KRCL hoodie or tee. Thanks for keeping us plugged in with your contribution at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and thank you. Thank you for listening to Radioactive tonight. The American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 is a $1.9 trillion coronavirus rescue package. It's aimed at helping the states recover from the economic and health impacts of COVID-19. Salt Lake City alone has $85 million coming its way. To find out how the capital city may spend it, let's pass that microphone. Hi, I'm Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, and I've got some plans for Salt Lake City to spend the President Biden rescue plan dollars. Mayor Mendenhall, thanks for giving us some time. So the city's getting $85 million. The county's getting $226 million. This sounds like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, perhaps a thin silver lining on what has been COVID and the economic fallout here at home. So I'd love to hear what your plans are. Uh, the bulk, $55 million, is to make sure Salt Lake City is on a sound financial footing. What, it's actually listed last in your priorities, but money-wise, it sounds like it's the first. That is the biggest chunk of our about $85 million that we're getting. And when the Congress approved this rescue plan dollars, one of the main directives of it was for cities and counties and states to be able to replace lost revenue. Um, to be able to pay employees to keep coming to work and keep those services going. We have absolutely suffered some 
major revenue losses across the board in Salt Lake City. We committed to not doing layoffs or furloughs with our employees, but we did go through a hiring freeze for uh, quite some time. So this 55 million of replacement dollars is uh, really still ongoing re revenue loss that Salt Lake City has been um, suffering from the beginning of the pandemic. As you know, I used to work for Salt Lake City during the um, recession, the real estate recession downturn. And Mayor Becker at that time did everything he could to uh, maintain employment, to uh, you know not lay folks off, did a few um, pay cuts. But its I don't think you've had to do that. You've been able to maintain as far as I'm aware, but bring us up to speed on how that's going and, and why this $55 million is needed to remain a competitive employer, frankly, as we move forward. That's a perfect point, actually, because the competitive market right now for jobs in Utah in general is very strong. Our unemployment is very low. It's the lowest in the nation most of the time. I heard 2.4%. Today. Yes, yes. And in Salt Lake City, where uh, we have faced pretty unique challenges over the last 18 or 20 months, um, it's not only our first responders who are, you know, encountering some of the highest COVID numbers throughout the pandemic here in the capital city. It's uh, the, there was a, there's a social movement going on and there were hundreds of protests We've had our parks become really wonderfully loved and used by residents who need to get out. Um, and we haven't slowed down on like repairing our streets and rebuilding streets and doing the day-to-day -day work um, with public utilities and everything else. So it is a challenging job. Hiring is very hard and paying competitive wages is uh, obviously one of our priorities because we raised the pay of our employees in Salt Lake City back in July uh, with most of our employees now leading the state plus 1%. I was going to say Salt Lake County Mayor Jenny Wilson made an announcement this week that she's committed to a $15 minimum living wage, and the city is competitive with that, I take it? Yes, actually. And there are some in the part-time category with Salt Lake City where we have seasonal employment, say, for um, snow removal or working in the parks in Salt Lake City, and um, those are not yet at that living wage. And it is absolutely uh, a goal of mine. It's actually, I believe it'll happen within the next two budget cycles that we'll either be able to bring those on as full-time employees or find a way to compensate them as part-time employees at a much higher rate. So we've taken care of the last of your planks on the spending of this CARES Act money, the American Recovery Plan Act money, actually. And the first one that you announced, though, is about the social impact investment. What is that? How do you define it? What will it pay for? Yeah, well, Laura, with the rest of the money that is left, I wanted Salt Lake City to take on a handful, smaller handful of initiatives that could make a bigger and deeper and longer lasting impact that our residents could benefit from directly. I'll, even though we have, you know, literally a list of thousands of projects, community submitted and from our own city staff and departments that are legitimate and need to get done. I asked when I came into office last year, what was the single best impact investment that we could make to lift up residents in the city who need that help and also secure our city's financial economic well-being? And our staff were wise enough to say, we need to get back to you. We don't know the answer to that yet. And Sorensen Impact Center up at the University of Utah, uh, we hired to help us answer that question. When they came back and said, 
the biggest thing you can do is actually two things and you could do it in the same location or locations. That's high quality early childhood education in our low economic uh, census tracts in Salt Lake City and couple that with workforce training for the parents of these children, Um, connecting our residents who are our workforce today to more mobile, higher paying, economically resilient jobs like we're seeing in healthcare and tech um, in the state of Utah. So this $10 million proposal uh, is me asking the city council to set this 10 million aside while we finish phase two of research with the Sorensen Impact to figure out exactly how and um, how this program could be financed and where it could happen. But my goal is that we have neighborhood centers in these neighborhoods um, that are really accessible, hopefully even walkable for the families that want to use them, and that we make it easier for families to thrive in Salt Lake City. Yeah, Utah is the family state. We have more kids per capita, I think, than anywhere else in the country. And yet we don't really um, appreciate, I think, I think the families do. But uh, perhaps our politicians, including, and now you're showing us. I'm a mom. You care, but you're a mom. That, um, you know, paying for this is as much as a mortgage for some folks. It's tremendous. We know that the majority of two-parent households in Utah are working. And um, over 80% of single-parent households are full-time working. The cost that most parents in um, the majority of counties in the state of Utah are paying for full-time child care is 10 to 20% of their paycheck per child. And we know in Utah, uh, most families have more than one child. So if you're one of those majority families that are working and you need child care, it is a major part of every household budget if, if that's what you're faced with. And early childhood education helps families right now it gives parents a greater capacity and hopefully confidence in pers- maybe reskilling, um, upskilling what they're already doing to be able to make more money and be more connected to our workforce. But it also gives these kids an awesome trajectory to enter into kindergarten. And there are studies upon studies that show us that there are academic benefits that are longstanding, but also so, so social, emotional well-being that uh, this pre-K can offer. Well, an affordable child care is a barrier to getting back into employment, returning to work. You know, we've had a lot of conversation about the great resignation that's been going on where workers are fed up with low pay, not enough benefits, not able to live a quality life. At the same time, we saw here in Utah the governor end um, extended benefits early because the pressure coming from business saying we can't hire workers. Well, those benefits ended and we didn't see a mass flood of people returning to the market. So this is an interesting part of your plan because I think a big barrier is childcare, not only to people returning to work, but to getting a better job. It is. And when we have the strongest economy in the nation, as we do here in the state of Utah, uh, we should be doing everything we can to connect those economic opportunities to our people who live here today. And we know over the course of the entire history of of our capital city, what neighborhoods need that help and they need greater connections to high paying jobs. And as a mom with three kids, there's not a day that I exist where I'm not trying to balance the needs of my family with my job. It's just, it's what we have to do. 
And childcare is not only difficult to come by, but it's incredibly expensive. And we can do better for Salt Lake City residents with this $10 million investment. That I intend, and it is my goal to greatly leverage that $10 million, hopefully many times over by private philanthropic investment with us. Talking with Salt Lake City Mayor Erin Mendenhall about her recommendation for the capital city's use of $85 million in American Rescue Plan funding. And when is that going to drop? It's going to come kind of in two installments, Mayor, right? Yes. Yeah, the first installment has already come. The next one will come uh, late summer, early fall, probably next year. We're seeing a lot about crime rates. Um, I'm seeing some news stories about some things happening in Liberty Park in particular recently. One of your planks for this money is to invest almost $4 million in public lands park rangers. Tell us about that program. Yeah, I've been I've been talking about park rangers for years back on the council and helped fund the recreation of our, our bike squad with the police department, which was intended really to focus on Jordan River Parkway and some of our bigger parks in the city. Policing is not all, you know, it's not the greatest way for us to patrol our parks though. And um, I've wanted to do this and, and this is a great opportunity with these recovery plan dollars. And it's the right time in Salt Lake City So the proposal is to hire 16 full-time park rangers and they would be able to help people, whether it's talking about the birds that are migrating through at the time or, um, you know, where to find the tennis courts you're trying to get to, helping enforce park rules and creating a a sort of constantly present positive um, atmosphere in our parks so that they're welcoming to everyone. And they would be at Liberty Park, Pioneer Park, Jordan Park and and the Jordan River Parkway throughout, and then Fairmont Park and in Sugar House also. So these would be certified police officers in addition oh. to what is already there. No, not police officers at all. Uh, the bike patrol is police officers, but this would be in our Parks and Open Lands Division or Department of Salt Lake City. So it'd be so, more like the Ambassadors Program. Very much so. And my intention is that they look and feel kind of like a national parks park ranger um, and that they would be educated on the environment that they're working in, literally the, you know, the, the natural life that's there and also be able to help people with first aid. They would have training in that, but they will not be police officers, not be post certified. When do you hope to start hiring those? January. January hire date, folks. Be sure well, to check out need- slcgov.com. We need the council to support the recommendations first, but that's, that's our hope and that's intention. So the community grant pool is another item on your bucket list, and you've got about $4 million you want to spend here. How would it be utilized and through what parts of the city apparatus? Yeah, I think that the, the experience of navigating this pandemic with our community has been one of the greatest experiments of um, listening, soliciting, finding new ways to ask the community what they need. And sometimes it's just us amplifying and supporting what the incredible neighborhoods are already doing. And sometimes it's creating something out of whole cloth. So we have been in a really ongoing and pretty thorough conversation with community organizations over the last near nearly two years. Um, So we already have a a good idea and good lines on who out there has great ideas to lift up our community. We saw that with Tip Your Server program, um, our open streets, where we open a lot of streets around the city to pedestrians and bikes and close them to cars, and the Raise Up SLC card, 
that uh, put cash right into the hands, particularly of our residents who um, may have a mixed immigration status and didn't receive federal support. So I see this $4 million proposal going even farther into the community. $2 million of it would be um, directed through our CAN, our community and neighborhoods, working with um, organizations, nonprofits, community organizations to issue those grants. The other half would be through economic development. And we want to see um, small businesses, artists, makers tell us what they need to make their business thrive and survive and grow and help Salt Lake City. So two million to each. I also see on your list that, you know, this could address COVID related issues ranging from legal services for eviction assistance to health care um, grants and support for small local and art or artisan businesses. Yes. All of the above. Yeah, I think this is kind of the part of your plan where I really see a difference between being a city council person, as you were before you were mayor, and standing up for just your area and just your constituents and saying, hey, wait, what about my part of the city? And really having to look out more broadly and equitably. And that leads me to your West Side Community Initiative, which the West Side of Salt Lake for a long time, its um, elected leaders have complained about. Um, benign neglect, perhaps, is perhaps the most positive way. And so you have $4 million set aside for the Westside Community Land Initiative. Yeah, we want to help our Westsiders not only be more secure in the housing that they have today, while these market forces, these incredible housing forces right now are disrupting a lot of our historically resilient communities, but we want to help our community to build wealth at the same time. And part of this initiative would have the RDA taking land they already own or by acquiring land and holding it forever. Um, The RDA usually works in like a 20 or 25 year cycle and then they're out. But this is a land trust that um, builds equity and provides uh, affordable access to whatever happens on that property, whether it's multifamily or single family and does it in an affordable way. And then the equity that's built, some of it would go back to the the residents of those places and they would be able to, you know, garner the equity that they've earned and the rest of the equity would go back into the community. So it's a self-perpetuating fund that would be focused on the West side there. We're calling it the West side community initiative, but it's really an urban land trust and it's the first time Salt Lake City's done anything like this. Yeah, you call it the first gentrification mitigation plan for the city. And it sounds tricky because I would say developers might come knocking on your office door and say, you're competing with us. Why are you a property developer in the sense that we are? So I'm guessing you've got to have to come up with those arguments, Mary. What would you say to that well, argument? Two things. The gentrification mitigation plan is a separate endeavor, and that's already happening. And this is happening, this Westside Community Initiative is in parallel and complementary to the gentrification mitigation plan. And the, the, the whole purpose of that plan is to work by work next to listening to the community who's being impacted today by gentrification and say, what do you need to be more secure where you're at financially and from a housing stability perspective, and also to build the wealth within your own family um, so that you're you're growing and, and that families who have been intergenerational cycles of poverty can start to be in intergenerational cycles of thriving in the city and, and stay in the neighborhoods that they want to be in. So when if, it, if that means that Salt Lake City needs to acquire land that can be developed and basically co-owned by the people who live there, 
who can build that equity. And if, and if, and when they decide to move and buy something else, they take that equity with them. I think that is a completely different tool than what the for-profit development community is doing in our neighborhoods today. We'll keep an eye on that as this plays out. And then I think the only thing we haven't covered on your plan to spend $85 million of this American Recovery Plan Act money is your clean neighborhood team. Is this uh, an expansion of the ambassador program, uh, a bulking up of the, the city's mobile app for problems across the city? What is it exactly? So it is not an extension of the Downtown Alliance's um, ambassador program. It is an extension of our community um, engagement team we call HEART. It's the Homeless Engagement Outreach Team uh, that's within the Community Neighborhoods Division in Salt Lake City. And that's who has been coordinating the community commitment program that we've been doing since last October that's gone out to these large encampments with about 14 different service providers, tried to get to know the individuals for the individual needs that they have and make specific offers of shelter or detox and maybe a motel voucher, um, get them COVID tests, COVID vaccines, driver's licenses, whatever they may need. And as we've done that over the course of a year, and we're going to continue to do that, we're seeing smaller encampments instead of these larger ones crop up. And this neighborhood, clean neighborhoods team that is really uh, endeavoring to more quickly engage with encampments rather than waiting until they're large and established and entrenched. Um, And that engagement team that is currently working today is really good at doing the outreach work and knowing what services are available. So we're, we're trying to develop a rapid response team within what we call heart in the city, that, that homeless engagement and outreach team. And another part of it will be being able to do the cleanup. So when there are, when there's trash or bio waste out there, we want to be able to obviously get to that as fast as possible and keep our public spaces clean and accessible and safe for everyone housed and unhoused. When does this go or when does the city council expect to rule or vote? Yeah, they, They had their first work session on the social impact investment last Tuesday. They have, I believe, only four council meetings left this year, and we're hoping that they'll be able to come to a conclusion and allocate the money by their last meeting, which I believe is the second week of December. So if you care about any of these or you have an opinion on it, please let that be known at one of the city council formal meetings that start at seven o'clock and there's always a general comment section. We want to hear from you. So I have just two more questions. One, the first one related to what we're talking about here and related to homeless services for folks experiencing homelessness. And that is the winter overflow. Temperatures are dropping despite how hot it is as we record this today ahead of a storm coming in. And there is a bit of a concern over what's going to happen for overflow. You're on record as opposing Salt Lake City being the prime provider of those. So what's happening? Yeah, the there's a Salt Lake Valley Coalition to End Homelessness, whose job it is, according to the state of Utah, to come up with where a winter shelter can happen. And unfortunately, that coalition, while tasked with that duty, is completely uh, without tools to be able to ap- apply it. So they end up facing cities across this county who by and large say, no, we won't work with you on that and not in my city. Salt Lake City has stepped up 
two weeks after I became the mayor, we put together and opened the Sugar House um, Overflow Shelter in the middle of January in 2020. And then last year, we worked with Switchpoint to open the airport in um, for an emergency overflow. That's actually being funded now to become a transitional housing for seniors um, who are experiencing homelessness. So that's not available for winter overflow this year. And I've asked that of the 300 beds that coalition identified as being in need, that they not all be in Salt Lake City. This is a statewide crisis and the capital city has been shouldered from a financial perspective and really a responsibility that is not ours alone to, to come up with solutions on. So the coalition, I think, is trying to find locations. Salt Lake City will welcome an, an emergency overflow um, if, if I have anything to do with it. And there will be uh, there likely will be a, a city council process that would have to approve that. But at this time, we don't have any of those applications in other than the Wiegand Center um, adding a few more beds than they've served in the past. I did put a million dollars of this recovery plan dollar uh, allocation out there that I'm asking the council to appropriate for an emergency shelter anywhere in Salt Lake County. And we've never done that before. We've never said, find beds. And we don't care if they're in Salt Lake City. They need to be in Salt Lake County so that our people who are here can access them, but just make it happen anywhere. And there's a million dollars on the table for that. And then lastly, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about gun crime and the press conference on October 20th with Salt Lake County DA Sim Gill, Salt Lake County Sheriff Rosie Rivera, and Salt Lake City Police Chief Mike Brown saying, this has got to stop. No more plea deals on crimes involving guns. Uh, give us your response to this and what you expect or, or how how we can come together as a community to address this, Mayor. Yeah, violent crime is up tragically um, all over the United States. And we've been experiencing that since 2020 here in Salt Lake City. And fr frustrating is probably the most mild way I can put it when our officers are able to apprehend people who have used guns, um, such as this week, there were shots fired in Liberty Park. Thank goodness no one was hit or hurt. They were there within two minutes. They have made two arrests and uh, they've been able to seize the gun. And what we don't want to see is our jail system that is under uh, COVID restrictions and pressure. Let those folks out on a plea deal or on uh, pretrial release because the system is too full. If you use a gun for uh, any sort of a crime in Salt Lake City, you need to be behind bars and we need to keep you behind bars until you're tried. We cannot deal with people coming back on, on the street before our police officers even finish the shift that they arrested them in. And that's unfortunately what we're facing too often. Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the mayor's recommendations for this $85 million in rescue plan funding, as well as the city council's meeting calendar. Sign up for public comment at one of the meetings if you'd like to get involved and weigh in. And that's Radioactive. Democracy Now! coming up at 7, Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, Connor's Late Night Lowdown at 10.30, Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m., and John Florence checking in at 6 a.m. every weekday to start your brand new day. You know, we can't keep the lights on or the music spinning without your support. So check out the new shirts and the swag we've got ready for you for Radiothon, which starts on Friday. I'm Laura Jones. I'm going to head on out with You Can't Be Told, although I just 
Told you. It's Valerie June on KRCL.